Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. That is the reason we do what we do around here. Um, there's nothing more exciting uh, to me as a pastor than to see people take steps of faith, um, to take those steps of obedience and, and, and to follow the Lord in water baptism. It's just an ex- incredibly exciting thing. And, and every story that's told and everyone who is baptized and every, every life that is shared is just a reminder to me and an affirmation to me and to us as a church of why we do what we do. It's our purpose. And we started this series a couple of weeks ago um, talking about why we exist as a church. And um, we've been going through this each week. And it's found in 19 years ago, we, we came up with this very, very simple statement of, of mission. And it is this. We exist to help unchurched people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. Now, every week I've had you say that along with me and um, got some lukewarm response, okay? This is why we exist, folks, okay? So say it with me. Why do we exist as a church? To help unchurched people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. It's the most important thing we could do. If we don't do that, you know, close up the doors, you know, turn off the electricity, let's all go home. Because that's what Christ called his church to do. That's, that's why we exist, to help people become wholehearted followers. And a wholehearted follower is simply this, someone who is growing and learning how to love God and love people. Because that's what Jesus said. This is what it all comes down to. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's the heart of it all. And, but we also said that none of us have arrived. We're all in this process of becoming. And the becoming process, there is a very specific steps involved in it. It's connecting with God and connecting with His family. And we do that when we worship together, when we, when we come together in this, when we come together in our community groups and share life together. That, that's part of the process. But it's not just about connecting. It's also about serving. It's using the talents and the, the treasures and the time that God has given us for His purposes. It's called ministry, serving, and it's about sharing. Now, here's the deal. Most churches, most churches are really good on the connect part. Most churches are very, very clear. We exist to worship God. We exist as a church family to, to, to do life together. Most churches are really, really good at the connecting part. Connect with God, connect with God's people. Some churches, some churches add that second step to it say, But it's not just about you. It's about using what God's given you to serve other people. Unfortunately, far too few churches emphasize that third element. We're really, really good about connecting with God. We're really, really good about connecting with each other. We're even learning how to serve one another. But when it comes to really reaching out and sharing this message of new life, unfortunately, we talk a lot about it, a lot of lip service given to it, but not a lot of it happening. And so and here's the deal. Here's what I truly believe. And, and this is why. I think part of it, why it's so hard and why it's such an effort for some of us and, and why it seems to be so difficult because I think it's the work of the enemy. Because here's the deal. If the enemy can stop us from sharing the message, he going not have to worry about the rest of it. If Satan can keep us from sharing this life that Christ has given to us with other people, if he can keep that from happening, he didn't have to worry about all the other stuff. And that's why I think it becomes so difficult is because we get so confused about the whole thing and and we lose sight of what really matters. 
We put a lot of emphasis on connecting with God, a lot of emphasis on connecting with each other, some emphasis on serving one another, very little, very little actually sharing this message. And here's why it's critical. Just came across this this week. The national statistics for churches in the United States. There is not one county in the United States where Christianity is on the increase. Not one county in the whole United States. That includes the South, okay? There are a higher percentage of believers in Africa than in Washington and Oregon combined. And the percentage is closer to what is the same as in Idaho. 50% of evangelical churches did not have one convert in the last year. Half of the evangelical churches in this world, churches who say Jesus is the way, he is the only way, it is our faith and our trust in him. He is our own source of salvation. He is the only one who can forgive us of our sin. He is the only one who can give us a right relationship with God. Churches who declare that to be truth, half of them, half of them in the United States have not had one single convert, one new believer. This is what we believe. But half the churches in the United States have not had one person come to understand that. Only 14% of churches in the United States are growing at all. Only 2% are growing by conversion. People coming to faith in Jesus. This is a scary one. 75% of the teenagers in the United States will leave the church when they reach the ages of 18 to 24. 75%. Eight churches in the United States close their doors every day. Those are pretty sad statistics. And if that doesn't bother you, then you've missed the whole point. Because Jesus came to reach the world. He came to bring a message of grace and hope and forgiveness and restoration. And sadly, we as his people, as his church in the United States, are not doing a very, very good job of it. And I want to say to us as a church, you know, just because we've been growing, don't sit back and think we got it together. Because the truth of the matter is, within a 10-mile radius of this location right here, within a 10-mile radius, there are tens of thousands of people who do not know Jesus, who are not involved in the church anywhere. We must never forget, it is our job. It is our job to make this message known. John, in his letter, in his first letter, writes about this because it's, it's, it's our job, but we don't feel very adequate at it, and we're so reticent to do it. And John gives us some real help in this whole idea. First John, chapter 1, he writes this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live the truth. 
But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. John says, we have a message. We have a message, and it's a message that has to be shared. And we share it, we share it, so that people would come into this fellowship that we have experienced with God, and this fellowship with each other. And what I want to talk about this morning is about this really, really important aspect that I think is too much neglected. And it's this whole idea of simply sharing. It's why we exist. And you have a message. Your life has a message. And you need to share it. And the thing is, John makes it really, really clear. You can. You can share this. His letter right here, this, this little passage that we read, gives us some real good examples of the whole thing. And here's the first thing to understand about this whole deal. is your life, your life is a story of faith. Your life is a story of faith. See, I think most of us don't share our faith because we feel like, I don't know what to say. I don't know enough. I'm, I'm not a Bible expert. Somebody asked me a hard question. I won't know the answer to it. Here's the deal. The most powerful thing that you can possibly share is your life story. And everybody's got a life story. You don't have to be a Bible expert. You don't have to be a theological you know, um, intellect. All you got to do is be able to share your story. That's what John says. He says, that's what we have heard, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we've looked at, what our hands have touched. This is what we proclaim. This is what we experience. This is what we tell people. Verse 2, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you eternal life that was with the Father and has appeared to us. John said, it, this, it's this simple. This is what we experienced and that's what we share. And I know some of you think, well, yeah, but he was a firsthand. I mean, he was right there with Jesus. You know, he had that experience. He actually saw and touched and, and spoke to Jesus. Yeah, he, so did you. Not firsthand, like first century firsthand. But every one of us in this room have a story. Every one of us have had our lives changed by the grace of God. Every one of us have had an encounter with Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, if you are a follower at all of Jesus Christ, you've had an encounter with him. And that story, your journey of faith, you can share that. You can share that. And the thing is, it's probably the most powerful thing you could share. Because more people can relate to stories than they can to theological arguments. You can have a great theological argument and make no headway whatsoever. You can share your story and people can relate to that. That's why Jesus told so many stories. Every time he taught a deep theological truth, he did it with a story. He told stories to get these truths across. When he wanted to talk about love and what it meant to truly love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor yourself, and they were asked, well, who's my neighbor? He told the story of a Samaritan who saw a man that had been beaten and he tended to his needs and he cared for him. Jesus said, that's what it means to love your neighbor. When he wanted to teach people about the responsibility of the time and talent and treasure that God had given to him, he told a story. He told a story about servants who were given a certain amount of talent, a certain amount of investment for them to use to invest in the master's kingdom. 
And he said, that's what your life is like now. When he wanted to convey the message of how much God loves people and how much he wants for them to come to him, he told three stories back to back to back. He told the story of a, of a lost sheep. He told the story of a lost coin. He told the story of a lost son. And people may not remember all of the deep theological truths, but people remember the stories. You know the story of the lost sheep. You know the story of the prodigal son. Jesus used stories to make deep theological truths understandable because stories build bridges. Your story builds a bridge. It's relatable. People can understand it. It's personal. And and that's what we talk about is a relationship. And so your story is an integral part of what it means to have a relationship with God. And I truly believe this. I believe God gives us certain experiences in our lives just so we could relate to other people. Because if we went around this room, we would have story after story after story. And some of them are about restored marriages. Some of them are about lost children of your own that came back. Some of them about struggles with addictions and compulsive behaviors that God has delivered you from. And if we went around this room and took the time and told story after story, it would be all about how God has made a difference in my life. How Jesus Christ changed me from the kind of person that I was to the person that I am today. And that's all that John is doing here. He is simply telling the story. And and by the way, when you tell your story, be prepared, okay? Because, yeah, it's my story, yeah. But write it out, okay? Put it it down on paper. Get it down so you can share it in in a very short amount of time. In fact, keep it short. John says, he does it all in 10 verses here. Just a few sentences. He says, this is what we heard. This is what we saw. This is what we experienced. This is what we proclaim. Now, he had a long version That's the Gospel of John. You read the Gospel of John, that's the long version. It's 21 chapters long. It's 436 paragraphs involved, okay? That's the long version. And in fact, he got through that whole long version, he wrote these words. He said, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the whole world would not have enough room for the books that could be written. So you don't have to tell your whole story. John said, I can't even tell the whole story. But this is the short version. And every one of us have a short version of that story. In fact, you ought to be able to tell your story in 100 words or less. And that's why you need to write it down. Think it through. What is the key thing? What is it that changed your life? What is it that that God used to get a hold of you? What experiences did you go through? What, what, What challenges did you face? What was it that made it suddenly dawn on you? And I think every one of us ought to be able to at least tell that story. And there's probably a lot of different versions to it. But if you would just take some time and write down, what is my story? What is my story? There was a man who was healed by Jesus. He was a blind man. had been blind from birth. Jesus healed him, opened up his eyes, told him to go now to the, to, back to the temple and, and to get verification that he had been healed. And he went, and all the religious leaders, they wanted to know, well, who did this to you? How did this all happen? They went on and on and on. And he said, he would have been blind. He didn't even know. He said, I, I don't know. You know. This guy came and he told me I was healed and that, that happened, you know. And he, and he said, well, tell us the truth. Who was this person? You know, because we know, we know. He said, this is it. One thing I know. 
I was blind, now I see. It's a simple before and after story. And every one of us have those kinds of stories. What is your story? Let me give you some hints. Here's what you can do. This is what we do. Everybody, you saw the video of the baptism a couple weeks ago. One of the things that we do is we have every person who gets baptized tell their story. And we encourage them, write it out. Because if you write it out, it's real easy to remember. And, and if you get real nervous talking in front of people, you can just read what you wrote, whatever it is. Okay, just write it out. And, and we just say three paragraphs. That's all it has to be. Very, very simple. Here's how you can do this. Just simply, my life before I met Christ. What was it like before I became a Christian? How did I try to live my life on my own? How was I trying to deal with all of this stuff by myself? And then the second part is the second paragraph is simply this. How I came to put my trust in him. What was it that changed my outlook? Why is it that I made this step of faith? How did that happen? And then the third paragraph is simply what difference has it made in my life since? Every one of you can do that. We have one of the things Betty and I do from time to time is we, we try to have dinner parties over our house. And, and we try to kind of mix it up. Half of the party is our church friends, and half of the party is our friends who don't go to our church. And, and we, just, you know, we just have a small dinner party, you know, six, eight people maybe. And, and one of the things that happens when we have these dinner parties is somewhere along the line, you know, we start talking, and they all know I'm a pastor, so I kind of got a little bit of an in. But one of the things that I do is I just go around and say, you know, I'm just curious, because some of you I know, some of you I don't. You know, tell me your story. Tell me your story. I mean, you know I'm a pastor, so I, you know, I've got church stories, but do you have any story, any kind of church background story? And we just go around the table. And, and it's incredible how people open up when you start sharing your story and other people start sharing their story, and they start sharing their story. That there's something that happens that starts to open up and, and build these bridges. Now, not everybody comes to faith right away because of those dinner parties, but here's what happens. It opens opportunities. And you can do this. You can do this. One of the people that got baptized just two weeks ago, um, Sherry Fletcher, she was the first one you saw up on the video. And, and I asked her to come this morning and share her story because it's a very simple story. And, and it's a pretty new story. And, and she's only you know, been a Christ follower for a very little length of time. Um, but she shared her story. So I want to give you some encouragement so let you hear her story. So Sherry, would you please come? Where is she? Sherry, where is she? There she is. Come on up. Because God said so. Hmm. He, um, my story starts really on, on April 4th, 2001, and I got a really serious injury at work. And um, from that, I was, um, things just start going down. I just started losing things after things after things that I thought were really special to me or, or precious. And, um, and then I ended, I ended up have, having to have back surgery. And, um, and just last year, and so um, my journey was really rough. It was, you know, there was a lot of things going on, and finally, the Lord, you know, I was always believed. I mean, always was a believer, but at some point, he w- it was like, gosh, what is going on? What's all this stuff going on in my life? And he just let me continue to just kind of be in that, that moment where everything was just being lost, and everything was just being taken away, or... Um, slipping away, I should say. And um, finally, he let me stay there for a while, and 
And then God came to me and he said, let me navigate your life. Let, let me do it. And when he says, let me do it, you let him do it. <laughs> There's no if, ands, and buts. And so I was still in the valley. I was still feeling, you know, things were still happening and my health was still going down and there were so many things going on. And, um, but it was different after I gave it over to him. It was very different. It felt like, it, it felt safer. It felt like it's okay because he said so, so it's okay. It's, mm -hmm. I'm, if I lose it, it's okay. And um, so finally, I moved to Vallejo. Long story, so I won't go into that. <laughs> but um, I was shopping at Safeway one day. And um, some of you may know me as the produce lady. And they <laughs> called me that because I met the stats. But I met Kathleen Stats, actually. And uh, when I met her, we were talking over grapes and avocados. <laughs> <laughs> and Kathleen was telling me the grapes were good, and I was telling her, well, do you know anything about avocados? And she said, yeah, I sure do. And we talked over the avocados, and then we stood there, we talked for about at least a good 15 minutes. And um, she put, we were exchanged numbers. I was new to Vallejo, didn't have a church home. So she said, let's exchange, let's put your number in my phone, and I'll call you, and you know, if you wanna come. I wasn't driving at that time. She said, I can come pick you up. And I said, oh, that's great, thank you. You know, and we left. Parted. Well, three days after that, my mother got really sick. She was, had colon cancer, and she got really sick, and, um, and I had to leave. And fortunately enough, Kathleen had my number in her phone. She called. My mother eventually went home to the Lord, and, um, and I really miss her. It's hard to say this part without getting emotional, but I really miss her a lot. And... I told Kathleen uh, when I came, she, Kathleen would call me. She said, our church is praying for you. And I didn't even know these people. But, mm. you know, people that I didn't even know were praying and, and making sure that I was safe. And Kathleen would call me and say, you know, is everything okay? And I could tell her what was going on. I didn't have even laid another eye on this woman, okay? This is a, I had only seen her one time. But I knew I was safe with her because God put her in my life. And I knew I was safe with her. So we have, um, I'm getting away from my notes altogether. I'm so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> this is what you don't want. Mm -hmm. So, okay. <laughs> but um, the wonderful thing that happened out of my life was me when I met, met them and met Kathleen. And then she introduced me to her husband. And all of this, all of this came from grapes and avocados. <laughs> so when the Lord says he can do whatever he can do, trust him. <laughs> he can do it because out of grapes and avocados came all of this for me. I have been so blessed. I have a wonderful church home. I have wonderful church friends that protect me. And she's been through it with my mom and I. And, you know, with my mom passing, and it's been very difficult because it wasn't something that we expect to happen expected to happen and um and so i just thank her and i thank the lord for having her in my life and so my baptism came because the lord told me because i said so mm. you're to be baptized yeah. so my my journey there's a lot more to it but this is the but this is the best part of it the grapes and avocados is the best part of it <laughs> so thank, thank you, you for letting me share <laughs> Thank you.
who knew grapes and avocados? <laughs> See, if you're just willing to, and just take the time to share your story, it can make a difference in somebody else's life. In fact, we put on our website, and, and I encourage you to do it. If you haven't done this yet, um, if you go to our website, if you just use that simple outline, my life before I met Christ, how I came to Christ, and my life since trusting Christ. If you will go on our website, we've got a little link down there, and it says, tell us your story. If you'll click on that and, and just put, you know, write your story on that little email, um, we'd be happy to look at it and give you some pointers if you think you need some help with it. But we love to hear people's stories because those are the life-changing things that God does um, when we put our faith and trust in Him. So your life, it tells a story. Um, secondly is this, that our church, we as a church, we exist to help you share. We exist as a church to help you share your story. See, God's design is there be a partnership in this story-sharing process. That, that it's not up to just any one of us to do this on our own. See, the church I grew up in, we were told a lot, you got to share your story, you got to share your story. Go out and preach, go out and tell people about Jesus. Go and, do, and it was just like, oh, okay. You know, if I have to, but I never felt comfortable doing it, and I wasn't very, very good at it, so I just quit doing it. That's not the way God designed it. God designed that it would happen in the partnership of a church. This is what John writes. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Every aspect of the discipleship process is to happen in community. It's all about this idea of fellowship. The, word, the Greek word is koinonia, and it means just in common. The things that we share together in common. The church exists in common. We share a common faith. We gather together in a common worship. We minister to one another in this common ministry. But the third part about that, the fourth part about that is that we share a common mission that we are here to help each other. And I think somewhere along the line, the church has lost this. And I don't know why, but the church has gotten this idea that the church is just for Christians. And it is not. That was never Jesus' intent. He said, I will build my church. He said, go and make disciples. He builds his church when we go make disciples. There's a partnership there. And the church was never intended to be just for Christians. It was intended to be a force to engage the world with this message of His grace. And that's why we designed this church here at Northgate very, very differently. Because the church that I grew up in was not one that there was a real good partnership at. Now, we had a youth group, and I felt fine inviting my friends to our youth group. Because our youth group, man, we had cool music, and we had great stuff going on, and it was all kinds of fun. But church, I would never invite my friends to church. Because it was boring <laughs> and truthfully it was a little weird you know because you know sometimes we'd have a guest speaker in and he would like yell at people and my friends would go why is he yelling i don't know we're pentecostal that's what we do you know <laughs> people would shout amen you know it's like whoa where's that coming from you know and we'd have a choir these people in green robes with these Shiny silver collars around them and sang songs that nobody ever heard on the radio. I would never invite my friends to that because it was just too weird. Youth group, that was happening. We had a band. We had music. It was cool, you know, guitars and drums and all that stuff, but not to my church. 
And so when we started Northgate, we said, okay, how could we as a church create the same kind of environments that I had in my youth group growing up so that people who had no church background could come and enjoy it? And, and, and the music would be in tune. You know? And, and, and the, the, the preacher could be understandable. He talked real English, you know? And, and that was our whole goal from the beginning, to be a partnership for you. And that's why we encourage people, invite your friends. If you have a hard time sharing your faith, if you have a hard time sharing your story, then just invite your friends and let us help you. It's why we designed Northgate the way that we did. Because we envisioned a church where we could, we could create environments where people would come and enjoy it and understand it and, and maybe get something out of it. And so we said, it ought to be a partnership. It's all supposed to happen in community. You're not supposed to be a lone ranger out there trying to do this stuff on your own. But we're here to help. We're here to support. We're here to encourage. And so we want to give people as many opportunities to invite. In fact, if you take out your program, there's a whole bunch of them coming up this next month. We decided next month we're doing a whole series. There's a lot of questions people are asking these days about death and the afterlife. Um, the book The Shack came out last year, and it was just like everybody's reading The Shack. Well, what is that? You know, what was that all about? And you know, what is what is that? What God's like? And what is what is it like after you die? And all this stuff. And, and there's been all kinds of questions we've heard all around. So we designed a whole series starting next month called "If I Should Die Before I Wake." What does the Bible have to say about life after this one? What are the realities? What, is, what does God say about this? I'm going to talk about some of the hard stuff about it. This is a great opportunity. If you've got friends who have questions about God, have questions about heaven and hell, and, or think they know the answers and maybe they don't, this is a great thing to invite them to. And, and the whole next month, that's the stuff we're going to be talking about so that you can invite your friends who have questions about God and about heaven and about hell so they could get some of those answers. We specifically designed that series for that purpose. On the back side of that, we've got a concert coming up this Friday night. It's a great opportunity to invite a friend, especially if you've got a friend who loves great music, okay? Rock, good old rock and roll music. Bring them along. Use it. Invite them. We're starting next Sunday night. We're starting a Sunday evening service. Not because I need one more thing to do, <laughs> but because it's another opportunity because there are people who work shifts, who work weekends, who don't like getting up in the morning, especially on a Sunday. And it's not just if it's convenient for you. It's here's an opportunity to bring your friend. The end of this month, we're doing something brand new. We're calling it Trunk or Treat. Okay? It's a safe trick or treating. And what we're doing is we're asking all of our community groups to get together. And, and they're going to be put, you know, bringing a car with a trunk full of candy. And we're going to set it up all here in the parking lot. And have at least, you know, we want to have like 10, 15, 25 if we can. Station, if you want to do this, bring a trunk full of candy down here. And so p- parents can have uh, safe trick-or-treating for their kids and just get them here and understanding we're here for the community. It's another opportunity. We try to create these opportunities. We try to make our Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings accessible as much as accessible and understandable as we possibly can for people who don't have a church background or think they would never want to go to church because just the thought of it is boring. We want to be partners. And that's the idea. John said, we write these things to make our joy complete. And too often churches are boring 
and dry and irrelevant when they should be filled with joy. And if there is a loss of joy in a church, very often it's because nobody's sharing. If there is a loss of joy in your own life, in your Christian faith, it's probably because you're not sharing. You're not seeing people catch on to this whole thing. You're not seeing people take those steps of faith. There is nothing more celebratory than when somebody takes a step. That's why our baptisms are such a party. Because we clap and we cheer and we, we applaud. We applaud at the video, you know? Because it's life-changing stuff. When, when Jesus told the stories about the, the three lost things, the co- lost coin, the lost, um, lost sheep, and the lost son, every one of the stories ended with somebody who had found what was lost and said, come and celebrate with me. Come and celebrate. The father brings, he has to go out to his old, the older brother who doesn't want to get in on the party. And he says, he says, let's have a feast and, feast and celebrate. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. It's a celebration. It's a party. And we exist as a church to help you and partner with you to make that happen. Because when we share and when we invite and when we partner together, here's the great discovery that people make. That all of our stories fit into God's greater story. Each of our stories is unique. My story is different than your story. My journey of faith took a lot of different twists and turns than your journey of faith. And if we went around this room and everybody told their stories, we'd find how different they are. And yet they all come together on one point. The grace of God. See, my story is, the short version of my story is, most of my life was about effort and earning. I thought you got to God by being a good Christian boy. And I learned all the Bible lessons and I had the scripture verses memorized and all those things. And I thought that's what it was all about. Until I discovered it's not. It's about grace. Because I could never do enough to earn that from God. And none of my effort would stack up to anything. What changed my life was when I discovered he loved me just the way that I was. It's the message of grace. And your story might have taken all kinds of different turns. Maybe you didn't even grow up in a church like I did. But I'll tell you this, it all comes together on the point of grace. It's where they all converge. Because none of us, none of us in this room measured up on our own. That's what John goes on and says, this is the message. This is the message we've heard and we declare to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. None of us measure up. Now that's bad news. But that's not all the message is. There's a second part to the message. He says, now, if we try to deny it, if we try to pretend we got it all together, if we think we don't, if we can try to excuse and explain and deny it all, he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But, verse 19, verse 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. None of us measure up, not on our own. None of our effort, none of our good works, none of our Bible learning and reading and all that stuff, although those are all really, really important things, none of those things gain a status with God because there's this problem of sin and all of us have it. And God is light and there's no darkness available, no no darkness around Him. It can't possibly exist together. And we live in this darkness. Something needed to change. And it did because of what God did for us. And if you're here this morning and you're a guest and you're wondering what in the world he's talking about, it's simply this. That every one of us, every one of us, every one of us in this room falls short of God's standard. 
Every one of us. Every one of us have sin that separates us from God. But if we will confess that, if we will simply admit it to God, Lord, this is who I am. This is my sin. I can't undo it. Would you please forgive me? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, paying the price for our sin, he turns around and he says he not only forgives us, but he purifies us from all unrighteousness. He changes our lives. And that message is good news. And it is good news for every one of us. And it is the message of our own lives. It is the message of God's redemptive work in this world. It is the message that everyone needs to hear. Scott McKnight in his book, The Jesus Creed, writes this. He says, The church is not a religious club, and it does not have a secular mission. Instead, it is a worshiping and sending community. Most writers about spiritual formation tend to dwell on what happens in the inner life, on what happens in the individual, in the heart. But Robert Mulholland gets it right. Christian spiritual formation is the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. A part of for the sake of others is reaching out with Jesus' mission to others. It is why spiritual formation needs to be understood as Jesus understood it. A spiritually formed person loves God and loves others. And the way to reach out is to build bridges to others so they can cross the bridge to Jesus. Reaching out to others is what happens when a person lives the Jesus creed. That person loves others. And love means seeking God's best for someone. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. 